intimidation or bullying at work can have the same physiological response as a lion or as a physical threat. Somebody's going to get near you to punch you. Welcome to The Circuit Magazine, the number one source of information on protection matters, the industry-leading magazine for all security professionals who want to stay ahead of the game. Security, culture, and mental well-being. Today, we're very pleased to be speaking with John Rodriguez, founder of Empathic Security Cultures and an illustrious history in corporate security. I'm here with uh, Sean West. Why do you think these two topics should go together? Security, culture, but also mental well-being. Hi, Pelham. Well, I think, first of all, it's great to have John on the podcast. I mean, he's got a huge amount of experience working for lots of multinational corporations, including Kimberly Clark, Cardinal Health, amongst many others. Um, but, But the subjects we're talking about, security, culture, and mental well-being are you know are huge topics at the moment. And I think you know, I've worked in many different organizations myself where you go somewhere and when you're talking security culture, you, you can look at the staff and if the staff aren't under you know good terms and conditions, they aren't treat well, they aren't feeling valued for the work that they provide, the security culture that they have dips considerably. And once you're looking after the staff, what as that dips, you know, you've got guys and girls there. Where they you know, maybe they're providing a token effort of service, not the service that the client's paying for. So I think in any organization, it works well to go in there and treat your staff as you expect to be treated yourself. And you know, that will make a whole difference if everything's warm, fluffy there being looked after. Then people who are working there want to be there and want to provide the good service that they're being asked to provide. Absolutely. And 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 that will pay dividends, isn't it? You know, because it, you invest in your staff, you invest in the in 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 uh, in the organization. And and some people talk about it like morale, but 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 I think it's deeper than morale in that morale covers a multitude of uh, things both happy and uh, not so much happy. Um but 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 in terms of culture, I think this is kind of interesting for the ep community because imagine you are a private uh, smaller ep operating uh, group or maybe you're an individual um the, the way in which you fit in with someone else's culture the way you influence uh, culture um do, do, do you think it's even possible uh, unless you're in a really big corporate entity do, do, do you think like the solo operator has any influence uh, on, on on security culture here yeah, I think certainly if, if you're bringing, you know, someone who's well-respected and well-versed in the security industry and going into an organisation, they can certainly professionalise the operation after having a look at it and, you know, help promote that security culture. I mean, you have different cultures within the security teams. I mean, when you have EP teams, you have the residential security teams, CCTV operators, and, you know, they all work off of different facets of security, they should all be working towards one common goal. And, you know, when you get the, he said, she said, they're on these terms and conditions, these are on theirs, it can create a bit of them and us culture sometimes. So it's nice getting a good leader, good manager who can come in and help you know, wrap their arms around everything and bring everyone pulling in the same direction. Love that. And that and that sort of gels even with some of the earlier podcast episodes we did with Simeon Rosset and saying, you know, the butler is part of the RST team. You know, bring bring them on board, keep them in your in in, in a nice cohesive culture. 
Um, but but yeah, this very, very timely. And obviously in the run up to uh, the festive period, you know, um, empathic security cultures that 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 that's John's, uh, you know, venture. I think that gels with uh, mental well-being and the importance uh, of the protectors, particularly over this time, because uh, it, it's not all plain sailing for all operators. And and I, and I think it's it's good that we address that. So uh, let's get into it with uh, John Rodriguez, a big friend of the industry, and uh, we'll look at security culture, but also mental well-being. And now let's meet one of the contributors to the Circuit magazine. Mental health and security culture. Today, John Moss and myself are delighted to be welcoming John Rodriguez, uh, founder of Empathic Security Cultures. It's a pleasure to have you on the Circuit Magazine podcast. How are you doing? Good morning, fellow, or good day, John, as well. Thanks for having me. Well, it's great to have you on. And, and, and I love doing these thematic podcasts where we explore something applicable to the protector. So um, why is mental health and security culture blended together as a topic? What, 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 are, we, what are we trying to explore here? Sure. Well, a lot of folks are looking at uh, COVID as an eye-opener or a starting point or a emphasis to look more at mental health. But, you know, my philosophy over 40 years and my exposure and my experience is that it's been around forever, just like physical health. And I think folks in the security industry have a great opportunity to learn more about it and understand their own mental health and how mental health drives business success uh, at, at any size of the company. And it drives several other things, uh, not just business success in the sense of degree or range of profitability or turnover, presenteeism. You've heard of the term presenteeism. Mm -hmm. Folks may be dealing with a mental health issue themselves or their loved one, and they're at work doing their job, but part of them is focused on their loved one or their own condition. It may be diagnosed or undiagnosed. We're all on the mental health spectrum. We all have ups and downs. Anxiety is good in a way, but you know, severe or, or, or clinical uh, anxiety or depression, you know, is outside that uh, norm, and that's different for everybody. So, I think uh, us in the profession have a, like I mentioned, a, a really incredible opportunity. But you have to start with vulnerability and honesty with yourself. And I think it, it ego drives that. And a lot of folks in the industry that have come out of certain previous disciplines or career are, they have the mindset or the bias that they have to be the, the protector, you know, the guard, the, the agent, whatever you want to call it. And yet they don't, they're not honest with their own vulnerability. I mean, it's just like physical health. No one has an issue going for their annual physical, right? Mm. And if there's something wrong, most people do something about it. And and so and so, 
obviously we're delighted to have you on and we know your backstory but for the benefit of our listeners uh, where, where does your passion for 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 this come from i think i've always had it and i think you it's it's and that's why i named my company empathic you know based on empathy and compassion i think it's innate to some degree but it's also how you're raised by your parents and I, my mother was very compassionate with the needy and uh, the poor and anybody who just needed a, help, a friend to listen to. And empathy is, is based on setting your ego aside, clearing your mind, and really being engaged with someone else and understanding you know, what they're going through in their life. And that, if you can achieve that, it'll help you be a better person and It'll help you build, if you're a security professional, it'll help you better understand that connecting with every person from the third shift janitor to the manager, to the director, VP, senior, CEO, C-suite, if you can connect with folks on that vulnerable level of wanting to connect with them, you know, in the investigative field, they talk about establishing rapport when you first interview somebody, right? And I, we can jump, I'm gonna weave through things and, and hopefully I'll circle back to the point and to your question. But conducting corporate investigations, you know, the, the people are taught to establish that rapport. Well, I, I take it a lot further. And I, I, I say, when I teach folks and mentor folks, it's not reports connection because you don't wanna just connect with the person in that vulnerable moment that you're interviewing them but you want them to be an advocate for your security culture after you leave. So the, the focus of, I think, mental health starts with our own mental health. And if we can be true to ourselves, maybe you're on that spectrum and you, you, we all have our ups and downs and, and maybe you're fine, but you know, you've read and, and there's, re, there's studies by different agencies and, and, recognized authorities that before COVID, it was one in five or 20% of folks uh, had or will have a mental health diagnosis in their life. After COVID, I read some reports that it's gone up to one in four. So mm. any company that has an operation anywhere in the world, you know, we're a snapshot of the community that we're in. So you know, it's safe to say that some percentage of your workforce is dealing with mental health, either a diagnosis or a condition that they're dealing with or the other group. Now that one in four and one in five, most professionals in the mental health uh, industry agree on that. The number I've been searching for is what's the number of folks that have loved ones that have had a diagnosis or they think they might have a condition and they're very focused, they love them, they wanna take care of them, they're preoccupied, they worry about them, and it affects that person or that employee or that security professional. And it could, it could cause a condition within themselves based on the relationship they have with someone else. So I always promote that folks take care of their mental health and be vulnerable. I mean, there's a, the stigma barrier 
is the main thing for folks to get over or get through to seek help and to be honest with themselves. And it's sad, especially the security uh, professionals, folks that came out, like I said, different uh, previous careers that, you know, they might think that's a sign of weakness. And it's not. And and that really that really chimes a lot with um, a lot of the different sessions we've had this past year, because we've had um, a, a session on Elijah's short circuit, which um, is another component of our podcast where we talk about, well, what ha what happens when you're on the job and something at home is happening? Um, how do, how do you how do you manage that? Um, we, we, we talk about uh, workplace violence, um, uh, victims and candidates, uh, you know, within an organization. Um, not not all not all uh, incidents are uh, as clear cut as they might uh, might first look. Um, and, and, and of course, you know, going into this interesting uncertain time uh, of uh, economic uh, change uh then you know it could it could it could do um unforetold unforetold things um usually it's it's at this point i'd say what do you want the uninitiated to know but i think we can skip that because honestly i think everyone has some appreciation for either uh being uh you know in in a, in a degree of misfortune or uh knowing knowing someone else uh, so i'm going to go direct to john and we can we can we can jump into it yeah, it's uh, interesting that you should say that, Pell. I'm actually uh, skipping that particular question because while I think you're right, you know, we, we all have our own experiences and we can all pretty much relate to something probably, you know, in our own lives, our family or our work experience to date that touches on this issue. However, I still think, particularly in the security in industry and as John alluded to already, you know, we, we do lag behind a bit. And, you know, when, when you hear stats like that, you know, 25%, you know, of all people will suffer with some form of mental health issue in, in their life. I really feel like this is an area, you know, that can't be ignored anymore, can't be brushed under the carpet. And it's great that we've got John on, you know, with his 40 years experience. And I guess what I'd like to ask, you know, right off the bat is what, what are the challenges that you've seen the obstacles that you've seen managers companies institutions put up to prevent a dialogue to prevent a seeing uh advancement in mental health and the kind of leadership and support that's required to deal with these issues in the security industry when we compare it to other industries? Great question. And that goes over to the security culture piece, which it takes time and timing to develop those relationships with business leaders. And when I teach or, or, or mentor on security cultures, I talk about every company has their corporate culture and your security culture sits on that. And I also talk about, there's really three subcultures in a corporation, the C-suite level, their headquarters, you know, they establish uh, what the company's gonna do or, or not do. Then you have your regional, your EMEA, your APAC, your LATAM group president, for example, or senior leader there. And then you have the site leader, if it's an office, if it's a warehouse, manufacturing, whatever it is, each of those three influence your security coordinate, uh, security culture. 
And basically that means the importance they place on protecting the employees first and putting people first in a compassionate way. So to your question, if you can work with all three of those, especially the site leadership team, because they're on the front line too. You know, you mentioned workplace violence, and though it's a US-centric historical phenomenon going on for 40 years, I remember when I started my career, the going postal was literally folks, uh, postal workers, um, committing acts, right? So I've lived through all that and I've learned uh, through hard knocks, through great mentors, through information. And I want to pass that on. I think in the rest of the world, it says, ah, US, that's your problem. Well, it's not because you get into the psychological safety area and that is how we treat each other and, and the bullying aspect. I would say in the UK or whatever country your listeners are, listeners are in, you have a high degree of bullying. I would, I would, I feel comfortable in saying that unless the culture is established that we have a respectful workplace where there's no profanity, there's no raising your voice, that we take care of each other. You know, you might not like somebody, but when we're at work, we treat each other with dignity and respect. So those are all different components to to reaching that goal. So entering a discussion with a leader if you have that rapport and that trust and then that security culture is, is complex but it's doable and i hope folks look at it differently and not just say it's awareness training or somebody's assigned a security culture uh where they read a book and they think that that's it you know that's scratching the surface i think if you approach if you have a rapport with a site director for example and you have bullying or a workplace violence incident, if you have that discussion with the leader and say, we ought to look at mental health as a component. And there's been studies and books and, and different perspectives that people don't snap. You know, there's, there's indicators and behaviors. And I agree with that. But I also agree with when folks do act out and maybe it's just bullying from being a bully that day to actually committing violence, you know, they're mentally unwell or, or something's going on in their life, stressors in their life that day, maybe, um, you know, whatever, their, their spouse or their child or their car broke down and they come into work in a bad day and, and somebody asks them to help them with something and they raise their voice or they close the space in a threatening way. That's emotional, that's mental health. So a leader, if you tell the story the right way and give them empirical data, and even before that, team with HR, and if you have a benefits department, HR usually sits within that group. And companies, employees that are fortunate to work with a company that have employee assistance programs, resources or benefits to access, mental health professionals um, telling the story to the site leaders that we need to normalize mental health and do more in promoting the EAP benefits and maybe bringing in a speaker, doing different innovative things. One of the things that, that I promote is in, in the US, the local law enforcement agencies 
have something called CIT officers, crisis intervention trained officers, and they're trained to deal with mental health crisis, right? So you can reach out to them and invite them into your workplace to do a talk on mental health, just like you can invite them in to do a talk on workplace violence or use the facilities to practice with their, you know, their, their, their profession. So the, the, the key is you can't do it on your, on your own. A security professional cannot mandate a security culture. The leaders of the company do, but their focus is making and selling stuff, right? And that's great. You want them to trust you. And that takes time and timing and opportunity and incidents where you can go in and prove that you're capable and you give good guidance. You go in and do a good investigation that where you leave, the, the good culture at that site is left intact. I've seen guys come in that are retired law enforcement and they'll pull out their retired card, their credential, it's perforated and say, you know who I am, you know, I'm law enforcement and my buddy's the chief of police. It scares the heck out of the person. You know, they're, they may go in and solve the issue and get their, you know, get the bad guy, even the, the word bad guy. I mean, it, it's so complex that, you know, you're, you're setting yourself as a, as a, as a different person than an ally, as a compassionate coworker that you 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 work for the company just like they do. You know, I don't even say I'm from global security. I work with HR. I'm here to look into something versus I'm here to investigate something. So, and I, I know I'm, I'm jumping all over the place. The security professional can drive the culture, but they're not going to be successful on their own. Everybody in the department has to understand what it takes. And it takes a lot of long time. It takes one opportunity, one interaction, one incident, one event at a time. But getting back to mental health, if you can get that site leader and maybe they're a regional VP to say, that makes sense. I do want to talk more about mental health. And it, you know they're the they're the authority they're the leader. People look at them for guidance. They look at what they do and say. So if you have the right way to talk about mental health, and the key to that is vulnerability. I have a family member that was diagnosed with a condition several years ago, and I went full circle through all the emotions, and I found the National Alliance on Mental Illness NAMI.org. That, and they were a lifesaver. One of the things they had was small group discussions. And they had it for the two groups. The group that I mentioned that have a diagnosis where they get together in small groups, 10 to 12 people, and the family support group for the ones that have loved ones that are dealing with a, a, a challenge. And you get together, before COVID, we got together in person. Now it's virtual. But you all have to agree that what's said there stays there. And there's two facilitators. I eventually got certified to lead the discussions. I'm based out of Austin, Texas. So the two facilitators, it's a two-person team. We start out that small group discussion by telling our stories of our loved ones or how it impacted us. And we're very, very transparent. And some of the stories will make you cry. And they're, they're heartbreaking. And I've cried with the groups. And I've been there in an empathic way, in a compassionate way. 
So I took that model to my last company and I talked to some site leaders and the HR senior leaders and the benefits folks who were familiar with NAMI, with the model. And I said, let me try. I want to come into some sites and ask the employees if they would, it's a two-part effort. One, get all the employees together in small groups. And that's, that works better for a facility, manufacturing site. They can't pull everybody off the floor. But you can do 10 sessions of 30 minutes in 12 hours where we go in and I would focus on mental health and I would just ask them to listen. And I would tell my story. And you could hear pin, pins drop. And this, one of the most proudest moments I ever had is somebody afterwards came up and said, I worked here 30 years. This is the first time somebody spoke to me, not at me. And, and it was wonderful. So if you show that vulnerability, and if you can find somebody at that work up here, there, that may be willing to share their vulnerability in a group, then during that discussion, you'll say, tomorrow I'll be here again. We're going to do some small group discussion, totally voluntary. You don't have to go. Show up if you want, but we're going to talk about your stories in a confidential, open way. And that's, I think, one of the best ways to break through that stigma barrier. Mm, yeah. You know, it, it, it's great to hear that, John. It's great to hear about the wins and celebrate the victories as much as, you know, we can sit here and unpick everything uh, that's wrong with, in, in where the problems lie. So, so it's great to celebrate those victories. And there's so much to unpack in all of that. Um, but I kind of want to go back to, I think, this idea of the security culture, you know, the core theme and how it goes hand in hand with mental health. Because one of the things I was reflecting on there as I was hearing you talk is what's my relationship to the, you know, the term, the security culture? And it's something, you know, that we often hear, but probably unless you're, you know, higher up in one of those, you know, higher echelons that you mentioned at the C-suite or regional, then maybe it's not something you're going to think about, you know, too much. Certainly, I'm speaking for myself here, you're not necessarily, you don't necessarily understand what your role is in affecting the security culture. You probably certainly don't feel like it's down to you or you're responsible for it. But what I heard coming through that is leadership. You know, it, it, it's all about leadership. And that's something, you know, even at the lowest level in the industry, because a lot of responsibility rests on the individual shoulders. Leadership is something we can all connect with. And so, th therefore, you know, when we're trying to diagnose problems, is it as simple as, as coming down to leadership problems or, or is that oversimplifying it? Well, I think before leadership is compassion and respect and treating people fairly. And that, that kind of moves into the psychological safety component, which is a whole different topic. You know, there's neuroscientists that have established that people, we have a threat response and a reward response and intimidation or bullying at work can have the same physiological response as a lion or as a physical threat, somebody's gonna get near you to punch you. And that's been proven by the technology that they have to 
monitor the brain responses. So, and, and one of the, the best ones is the uh, Neuro Leadership Institute, Dr. David Rock, and his model is called the SCARF model. And he his, his basis is, SCARF is an acronym for status, certainty, relation, uh, relatedness, uh, fairness, and autonomy. And we want all those things at work, especially. We want uh, the autonomy to, you tell me how to do my job. You don't, I don't need a micromanager. Give me the freedom to prove that I can do my job. Status, whatever I do, if it's a forklift driver or a, a mechanic or electrical, you know, my status at work is important. And that all goes to mental health. You know, certainty. We want to make sure that the doors lock and that maybe our site's in a high crime area and that security has gates that work uh, versus some that don't work. Because if, if, if at, at the end of the day, and I'm, what we want from a security culture is information. What do we want from, for employees to trust leadership based on the relationship that they've had over time, credibility, fairness, and respect. And that goes to the Great Place to, to Work Institute model. It's very simple. And it's all based on trust. If employees trust leadership, then, and if leadership comes with security and talks about things that we want them to be aware of, you talk about security awareness. I don't call it security awareness. I call it security requests. Because really, at the end of the day, you can go and have a funny video, a long video, a short video, a blast, anything. But if the employees don't trust you, you know, what's the probability that they're going to do what you ask them to do? So to simplify a security culture from a security department, what do we want? We want information of wrongdoing. You know, somebody's a bully. Somebody's offering to sell drugs. Somebody's asking to buy drugs. Somebody tailgated or piggybacked at my car coming in, or I saw some suspicious people in the parking lot. We want those bits of information or the car beater's not working, the door closer's not closing. All those things, if we ask the employees to tell us, the sooner we know, just like workplace violence, when we have those behavioral changes, those indicators, the sooner the company knows their threat response team can start taking action to address the risk. So that's where time and timing comes in, right? And it comes on trust. So again, you can talk to employees till they're blue in the face, but unless they trust you or trust the leadership, and maybe you too, as a security professional, if you've been in there uh, six months ago and you did an investigation and you were rude or disrespectful to people, they're gonna remember you. And maybe you interviewed five people and you were not very kind. You can be kind and still resolve the issue. After you leave, those five people are going to tell everybody else, I got interviewed. You know, and that affects their, their status and their certainty, and it affects their psychological safety balance. Everybody wants to be, have homeostasis and have a, a you know, know, know what's going to happen that day. I'm going to go to work. I'm going to do this. And I'm not going to have a bully breathing down my back. I'm not going to have a leader cussing, using profanity. Uh, throwing the keyboard against the wall, you know, just a number of, of bullying effects. 
So I've jumped to psychological safety, to mental health, to security culture, to relationships with leaders. And I, I hope I'm, I'm, I'm making sense. So I'll, I'll stop right there. Yeah, no, that, that, that's great, John. I mean, what, what you're saying there as well, you know, the, those are the things that will create the conditions to allow for the vulnerability that you spoke about earlier. And so I, I guess I wanted to move for, for our listeners, you know, we, we've got listeners at, you know, every stage of their career. Um, and I'm thinking about, you know, at, at some point, and, and to some degree, we're, we're all leaders, like I, I said about the, you know, uh, the, the devolved levels of responsibility that we all carry on our shoulders. And, and you know, the, that level of responsibility typically only increases the longer you stay in the industry. Um, and so with that said, what one piece of advice um, would you give to any leaders, anyone listening to this now, what can they start doing practically to create those conditions that will allow for the support and trust required to create that security culture? I think start learning about security culture, but be careful where you seek that wisdom. You know, I don't know everything, but I was laughing with a, one of my folks that I mentor and I say, you know, remember the Matrix movie, the first one where Neo, they sat him in the chair and they stuck the probe in and they downloaded Kung Fu, right? And he said, I know Kung Fu. So I would love to uh, convey my 40 years of, I call it wisdom because I I failed a lot and I have the scar, the battle scars with leaders who didn't care for security, but you have to have the courage to run towards them. You know, it's easy to find, and I, I always talk about in, in business leadership, you have folks that really support the security function. They see the value. You have the folks that are in the middle that have good and bad experiences. And then you have business leaders that have no use for security. They see them as a total uh, capex or opex drain uh, because you don't have that relationship with them and you don't talk to them in a business sense. You know, you and one of the the the, the tools or strategies I use to do that is uh, Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Most of the business leaders in their studies, the ones that went to school, maybe got a business or accounting or finance degree. They probably took an elective in psychology and they might have studied Maslow's hierarchy of needs. And if you remember the second need before they can feel belonging and loving and self-actualization, which we want, which impacts employee retention, employee engagement, effort, commitment, trust, and all those things, we have to provide a safe and secure workplace uh, for the employees to feel real security and perceived security. Okay. So if you talk, if you approach a business leader and I've given talks to um, conferences where senior leaders are there and I start with the Maslow hierarchy of needs because they remember that. And it, you, that's, that's not disputable. And the second story I tell is when I worked for Kimberly Clark, we were rated number one by, out of 1,900 companies by the Great Place to Work Institute, which you may be familiar about, 
familiar with. And I would tell the listeners to research what that's about. They have a really great model that I mentioned, trust based on three pillars, trust, credibility, and fairness. Well, my security strategies with the senior leader, the group president for that region, who was one of the ones that hated security because they thought we were only reactive corporate cops and he didn't want anything to do with us. It took several years to change his, his um, perception, which cascaded down to the country, 22 country managers in Latin America, which was one of my other, uh, you know, prideful uh, moments in my career. So I think how you tell your story from a business sense and talk about presenteeism, you talk about turnover, and as you talk to leaders, if you can also bring in one of the site directors or leaders or VPs that saw you in action, and they can tell the story of an incident or an event, you know, travel security crisis events are also stories that that person stuck in a in an earthquake or a hurricane or in a bombing, they'll tell the story of how security went and took care of them. Let them be your promoters. But on that site leader, if you can get him or her to talk about your value to them and how it doesn't help you, you don't make and sell stuff, but you provide that safe, the safety, you know, that's more EHS, getting run over by a forklift or getting hazardous chemicals on your hand. Safe and secure, you know, we're the security perspective from internal risks, the bullies, the, the, the workplace violence threats or external threats, people trying to break into their cars, which is extremely important to folks or their cars is probably their most valued asset that they have. So if you can tell, get those, influence those site leaders and have advocates and more, even better yet, if you can turn those naysayers into advocates they're going to tell an amazing story and they're going to build your brand and build a security culture along with you. I don't know if I answered your question, John. I'm sorry if I didn't. No, no, I think, I think you did. And, 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 and that paints a very important picture and it stitches together a number of other podcasts that we've uh, sort of had on uh, industrial psychology. And of course, you know, uh, as I mentioned, uh, you know, staying level on the job whilst something else is going on. Um, obviously, we, we we could explore future areas, right? Future areas that that would love to get into, maybe not on this session, but with you, definitely could be uh, investigative uh, skills uh, that that gaining trust. But you know, with great power comes great responsibility. Because someone opens up, um, why why are you getting them to open up? Um, and how can that be uh, beneficial? I think I think that that could be an extra area to investigate. Um, as as well as John mentioned, you know, the balance between who makes culture, um, you know, top down, bottom up, um, organic. It just is. It isn't, you know, lots, lots of esoteric questions we could ask as well. Um, but 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 I think this and, and, and of course, mental health, which is for uh, front of mind, lots of statistics coming out, uh, even even here in the UK um, news coming out. And I, I cannot purport to be an expert in mental health. 
Uh, and of course, if 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 you if you if you are uh, affected by any of these topics, you 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 must find professional uh, guidance. Uh, but 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 I really think this is this is a great uh, look. And in your in your career, you know, it's great. It's not only a great topic, but it's great to have you uh, having worked for some of the largest uh, companies, including Kimberly Clark, including Cardinal and and uh, GM and and other com- uh, com- companies, which which I think has has added to the flavor. Yeah. And just to go back to John's question about what would you tell the the important guidance to folks anywhere in their career, again, seek wisdom on how to build the security culture. And it it includes psychology, philosophy, neuroscience, business, uh, understanding, timing, how to tell, how to communicate how to be precise and concise, you know, how are you going to speak to that third shift forklift driver versus the site director or a VP? Um, And just be careful to not get into an echo chamber and stay within groups that you feel comfortable with. And maybe they have good guidance, but there's always more. I think there's always more to learn from other folks. Uh, Like I said, I, I don't know it all, but I would put my 40 years uh, on with, you know, I, I've, I'm a generalist. I've done investigations, travel security, supply chain security, sec tech, training, uh, EP. I've traveled with CEOs on the corporate jet. I've done the EP uh, plans, the advanced work, all that stuff in my career. So I would tell the folks, learn about culture, understand it. Uh, and never stop seeking that wisdom. And if you're, we all have cultures to, to follow this point. You know, we're all in corporate and living in a culture, in a corporate culture or security culture. You just don't know how to define it. And you don't know where you are on that spectrum. Is it a good culture? Is it good sometimes? Or is it bad? You know, the, some companies have the best vision and mission statements on the wall, but they're just words. People don't care. It's it's every day, every interaction, consistency of how the site leaders uh, treat their employees. I'd say site leaders more than than anything. We work for supervisors. We don't work for a company. We work for our first supervisor or our first manager. The company has the paycheck name on it, right? The company pays you. But really, that I think a, a missing gap are the leads. You know, it's generally an employee and maybe a team lead and supervisor, assistant manager, and, and, and so forth. But really, an area where security can engage more is working with the site leader, the senior leader, and say, let me talk to your frontline supervisors as a subgroup and talk about indicators of bullying and, and uh, microaggressions. And maybe they're doing some of those things on their own. Right, cutting people off, for example, from speaking. If you say, "I really want to hear what you have to say," in a in a pre-shift huddle or in a team meeting, and if you don't give them the time of day, if you're looking at your phone, if you cut them off, those are you know those aggression or microaggression. Uh, I mean, oh, just phrase. aggression. It's just aggression, isn't it? Like aggression, what I'm doing yeah, now to you, it's aggression. aggression. Yeah, and that person and everybody is looking at that person, and it's it's intuitive. And that erodes the trust. You know, people 
are going to do, some people might do the minimum to get by and get their paycheck, but really the best companies are the ones that have those open, trusting, uh, vulnerable teams where, you know, leaders can laugh at themselves and leaders know a little bit about other people's lives, not in depth, but at least a little bit to where they can talk to, hey, how's your son's soccer, or foot, football game, I'm sorry, not soccer, right? Or how's the baseball game? Um, you know, engage over time, develop that rapport. Um, I think those are the, the key things, but the you know, I, I talk about security as two parts. It's there's the art and the science. The science is your security technology. You know, your camera works or doesn't work. It's still complex and very extensive. Um, you know, kind of the, the current risk right now in, in security technology is lead time. Uh, some of the people I work with are saying, you know, before if a badge reader was out, it was a two week lead time. Now with supply chain, it's two years. So, and that's just one one part. I lost my train of thought. I'm sorry. Give me another question. <laughs> but, but I think this this tees up a, a future session with you, uh, which of course you know is, is presumptive on my part. I'm, I'm, I'd love to invite you back. Sure. Um, uh, anytime. I'd love to join you guys, and and I hope I answered your questions, and I hope I tied things together as I went on. But, you know, there's a lot of things I can share and um, I'm glad to help anybody. You know, if anybody wants to talk just to bounce stuff off, I'll do it at no cost because I think that's part of being compassionate to help somebody. And, uh, you know, I just love helping folks. That's very generous. Thank you, John. I think we'll have to just call this part one for sure. So much more to unpack on this topic. Absolutely. So, uh, John, thank you very much. Um, obviously, a lot of uh, colleagues in the States will already know you about it, but it's great uh, as well to, to, to introduce you to some of our um, protector audiences worldwide. Uh, not that, you know, we, we know we know that we've got a lot of uh, US protectors as well uh, listening. So, so that's always a plus. Um, but, John, from John and myself, uh, we've been very uh, lucky to have you on. Thank you very much. And so this has been a great look at workplace culture and mental health um, for the Circuit Magazine podcast. Thank you very much. Well, thank you very much, John Rodriguez, for joining us. Uh, what a career to hear about and also what an important uh, sentiment to, to get ready for the industry and as we said uh, with uh, John Moss uh, there is definitely another episode needed to uncover more and um, but I'm back with Sean West. Uh, Sean how was today's session for you? I thought it was fantastic you know the two great subjects to be looking at security culture mental well-being and it's Something that's not looked at as much as it should be, maybe. I thought John's case studies were very interesting when, you know, dealing with staff or HR departments that, you know, sometimes you can still deliver a harsh message, but it can be delivered in an empathetic way. I think as we alluded to in the intro, um, you talked about bringing, you know, someone into an organisation who's going to, you know, bring a new person in who's coming in as a head of security or director of security. And to try and build that security culture, there's there's different ways to. You've got to break a lot of eggs to make an omelette, and I've had experience of that where we've worked with people who've came in and straight away they've come in and they've said, right, we need to get rid of this person, this person, this person, 
get rid of this facet of security. Lots of different ways you can do it. And, you know, I guess there's no right way, there's no wrong way because getting rid of dead wood can sometimes professionalise a department. And at the same time, you might have people who are working within the department, but they aren't feeling loved. So it depends mm. on the kind of manager you're bringing in. But, so there's different ways to harness the culture. But And I've, I've had experience of all that. And I, I see myself as kind of the middle of the two, if I'm honest. You know, you, you have to be firm with the message you're giving out. You know, you're, you're in a professional workplace, so you need, you're getting paid to provide a service. You need to provide that service. And if you don't provide that service, then, you know, you can be moved on. But at the same time, when you're working for a big organisation or even a smaller company, you have to make these people feel valued to get the most out of them. So, mm. no, it, 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 it's really interesting. Some of the message messages he said that you can, I don't know, hit something with a sledgehammer, but you can deliver it in an empathetic way mm. where the remainder of the team understand why it's getting done and they feel loved also, if that makes sense. Yeah, and and especially now when when people are in at least in the tech sector, you know, having a hard time, there's people left behind. There's people who are let go, um, and yeah, you can deliver a, a harsh message in a in a, in a much more empathetic way, um, and and that gels with you know, of course, our friends um, who've been at least one of them has been on the podcast, Lee Orton, uh, as well as uh, Tim Wenzel, who did the Kindness Games. It's advocating for a more empathetic culture. So there's there's a lot of synergy there. Um, and and particularly in the run up to the festive season, there's a lot of people uh, for whom this may not be the most amazing season because of whatever circumstance. And you can uh, be empathetic to uh, that um, and, uh, and and reach out to them. So that's so that's why I, I like uh, combining security culture and mental well-being as as a as a topic, um, which uh, which is really good. But uh, coming up uh, next week. Uh, we have the EP forum and the IPSB in Vegas. I will be there and I know Elijah will be there for at least part of it. So we definitely want anyone listening to come and say hello if you're there, because we know that there's not just colleagues from the States. There's colleagues from uh, Germany, uh, France, UK. I'm pretty sure from South Africa, uh, Mexico. Absolutely. And I think a couple from Australia have reached out and said they're going to be there as well as uh, even a colleague from Ibiza. So I very much want to see you there. And, and I want you to, you know, make yourself known and, and we can have a great uh, conversation. Um, uh, in terms of the uh, magazine, um, what uh, what have we got coming up, Sean? What what, what have we got to, to ask uh, people about? Yeah, we've just got the latest issue of the magazine coming up, as well as, well as you know, future issues of the podcast and the message we always put out there. We're looking for writers... Uh, people who are interested in coming on the podcast and supporting what we're trying to put out there. Um, without you, we couldn't make this happen. So please, if you're interested in writing an article, getting your name out there, please get in touch. Love it. And yes, please keep uh, commenting and keep up the good work on the BBA Connect app and the uh, NABA Protector app as well. But yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing a lot of the community next week. And uh, I, uh, I very much uh, appreciate uh, John uh, Rodriguez for coming on today. Obviously, you know, big cheese, as as, as it were, um, big, big ASIS friend, big, big uh, friend of the corporate security industry. Um, so, yeah, I really enjoyed that. And it was great that uh, John and I got to, to to catch up with him. So from Sean West and myself, this has been another fantastic edition of the Circuit Magazine podcast. 
You have been listening to the Circuit Magazine podcast. Be sure to subscribe and be sure to not miss an episode. 